Little White Shoes Chapter 1 Little White Shoes If you drive eastward from Naples, about a hundred kilometers, you'll arrive at last in a village from which there is no escape, except along the road you have traveled. It is the village of Bonito, and the place where I was born. It crowns the knoll of a hill deep in the southern Apennines, and it is a cul-de-sac, a dead end, a village which cannot grow. In June 1898, when I was born, its population was about 4,500 people. Its population had not changed for a century, and despite the good intentions of the prolific mothers of the village, it has not changed in nearly 60 years since. In Bonito, there is no future for the ambitious. They must go west to Naples, and from there to the big cities, Rome and Florence, Milan and Turin. Or they must go even further, out of Italy and across the Atlantic to the United States, to escape Benito's monotony, frustration and poverty. In 1898, Benito was a community of poor farmers, plus a few gentry and a sprinkling of professional people and tradesfolk, tailors, barbers, shoemakers, carpenters. It lived its own life, cut off from the outside world for many hours each day when the post office with its telegraph wire was closed. Occasionally, its placidity was stirred when a wanderer returned, a son or a daughter home from the wider world outside, perhaps even from America. The richer people made journeys to Naples or Foggia or Bari for their own purposes, to visit the opera or the theatre, to buy clothes and shoes and gifts. The poor stayed in Benito, and their journeys to the cities were extremely rare. I was born the 11th child of 14, in our nine-roomed, three-storied, whitewashed house opposite a small church on the main street. My father, Antonio Ferragamo, and my mother, Mariantonia, farmed their joint properties, each of about 10 or 11 acres, and cultivated the garden behind the house. We were very humble and very poor. Our food we grew for ourselves. The rest of the family's meagre income arose from the proceeds of our crops. Wine from the vines, wheat and corn from the fields, oil from the olives. We made wine but did not drink it. The good wine we sold, and we drank the poor stuff that remained, watered down. We grew wheat, yet never ate white bread. White bread was as great a luxury for us as breast of chicken cooked in champagne is to most people today. So our bread was wholemeal, and sometimes the harder cornbread when all the wheat was gone. The life was hard, the traditional life of so many villages in southern Italy for so many centuries. It was never comfortable. People like my parents lived from year to year, scanning the weather anxiously, praying for the good harvest, that would mean extra money. When I was born, and for years afterwards, any traditional income meant nothing for our family. The liras went towards the repayment of debts. The shadow of my eldest brother lay across us, and when he died, too young, a door closed upon the rest of us. Our brother, Agostino, you see, was clever. He was a phenomenon. He passed through the few grades it was possible to reach, in the schools of Benito, with incredible ease, 
A great future was promised him if only his education could be continued. So my parents gave him everything, all their spare earnings, all the money they could borrow, to send him to high school and then to university. If it had been necessary, they would have given him their property. He justified all their sacrifices. He graduated from the University of Naples at 19 years of age, and within weeks, he had been appointed a teacher at the University of Florence. My parents, I imagine, were happy. Their self-denial would soon be repaid out of his brilliance. I was only young then, but I dimly remember his end. He came home to Benito a few months after graduation, pale and thin from overwork. In his physical weakness, he contracted pneumonia and pleurisy, for which the medical treatment provided in Bonito at the turn of the century was a series of cold douches designed to cool the fever. I remember that my mother took a bowl of chicken broth up to him in his room. Agostino got up and sat on a chair at the foot of the bed. Suddenly we heard my mother screaming. Agostino had died over his food, just died. After that, there was no money to educate the other children. Instead, there was emigration. One by one, my elder brothers and sisters left Italy to try their fortunes in the United States. Secondino went first, when he was 12 years old, and Girolamo went, and Alfonso went after Girolamo, before he was 12 years old. Teodelinda, the eldest daughter, went, and Clotilde, the third daughter, and Alessandrina, the fourth daughter, and Carmela, the fifth daughter, each as they were old enough. Claudia, the second daughter, died as a child, and so too did the first Salvatore in the family, the third son. He died aged seven before I was born. Thus, I inherited his name. By the time I was nine years old, they had all gone except myself and those younger than I. The seventh son, Elio, and the sixth and seventh daughters, Giuseppina and Rosina. At the age of nine, I left school, having completed the third elementary grade. There was no higher education to be obtained in Bonito, and as there was no money for studies farther afield, I had to go to work, and if not to work, to play, until I too would be old enough to join my brothers and sisters in the United States, or would choose to stay in Bonito, or whatever I wanted to do. Whatever I wanted to do, except the one thing I wanted most of all. My mother has told me that from my earliest childhood, even when a baby scarcely able to walk, I could always be found in the shop of Luigi Festa, the village cobbler who lived almost opposite our house. I imagine I must have amused them. A tiny tot perching myself on a chair to stare with wide open eyes at the fingers working on the shoes. Today, I suppose, many parents would agree that of course if I loved shoemaking so much and if I wanted to be a shoemaker and said so passionately as I did then I should be allowed to become a shoemaker. For me there was no such freedom. You see the shoemaker in Italy is the lowest of all the classes. No matter how humble a family the shoemaker is humbler still. To be a shoemaker was a disgrace. It would bring the family into disrepute. Certainly I could not become a shoemaker. I remember plaguing my father persistently. Daddy, I want to be a shoemaker. Can't I be a shoemaker? Can't I be a shoemaker? Why can't I be a shoemaker? Why can't I go down to Signor Festus and learn to be a shoemaker? Vexed, he would reply, Oh, Salvatore, get this nonsense out of your head. 
You cannot be a shoemaker. You must choose a respectable trade. You can be anything you like, but not a shoemaker. But what were they to do with me? There were three years to pass before I would be old enough to emigrate. And in the meantime, if I did not work, I would run wild with the other village boys and get into mischief for breaking things and playing tricks and perhaps stealing the fruit from the trees. So first of all, they tried to make me a tailor. For tailoring, I had no inclination whatsoever. Next, they put me in a barber shop. That was worse. Then they put me with a carpenter. Still, I did not like it. I refused to go to work. I played truant running away to have fun with the other boys or to sneak down to Luigi's and sit, if possible, out of sight and watch him at work. My father would get angry and my mother would be sad at my waywardness. But always I said, I want to be a shoemaker. Always, my father replied, you cannot be a shoemaker, Salvatore. You must be a good boy and behave yourself and do as your parents tell you. This tug of war went on for several months, and then, one Saturday evening, I came home to find my mother in great distress. On the next day, my younger sister, Giuseppina, who was now just six years old, would take her first communion at the village church with Rosina as her attendant. For this service, it was required that the girls wear white shoes, and we had no white shoes. The pairs worn by the older girls were worn out, and we were too poor to afford new ones. Nobody in the village except the children of the signori, the gentry and the professional classes, ever had new white shoes for First Communion, except for the eldest girl in the family. After that, the shoes were handed down from sister to sister as each turn came. My mother had been among her friends in the village, trying to borrow two pairs of white shoes, but there were none to be borrowed. Either the shoes were too shabby, or they were being used by other girls, or the neighbours had none. It was a terrible thing not to have white shoes for the First Communion, and my mother cried with anxiety. I heard all this over supper on the Saturday evening, and I had an idea that I might be able to solve the problem. I did not say anything to my parents, but after the meal I slipped out of the house and ran across the street to the shop of Luigi Festa, and from him I obtained some white canvas, some cardboard, tacks, glue two small lasts and the necessary tools and quietly I smuggled them into the house and hid them away until all the family would be asleep. When the house was quiet I crept downstairs. Under the stairs in the hallway there was a solid bench which would serve me well and there I drew up a chair and spread out the canvas and the tacks and the tools and set up my first cobbler's bench and started to work. It took me a long time because I'd never made any shoes before, yet somehow I knew how to do it and I worked away, forgetting everything, so excited to be making the shoes for my little sisters. The hours passed, and first one shoe and then a second shoe and then a third were finished and placed on a shelving just above my head. It must have been about four o'clock in the morning when my father heard me. He awoke in the bedroom upstairs and he heard a noise in the house, the noise I was making with my hammering, and of course, he did not know who or what was causing the noise, so he came downstairs to investigate. Something made me look up from my work on the last shoe, and I saw him standing there, only a few feet away, dressed in his nightshirt. For a moment, I was afraid of what he might do or say, and we just stared at each other. My father did not say anything for a long time. He stood looking from my bench to the little white shoes on the shelf, and then back to me. At last, he said, it is time now to go to bed, Salvatore. You had better go to bed. That was all he said. 
in such a funny voice, and then he turned and went back upstairs. Well, of course, I did not go to bed. I still had the fourth shoe to finish. I went on working until it was done, and then I put the fourth shoe with the others on the shelf and tidied up my bench and took the tools and scraps of leftover material upstairs with me and went to bed. It was almost dawn. That same morning, my sisters went to communion in their little white shoes and everyone was surprised. Nearly all the village knew that my mother had been unable to borrow any white shoes and here were the girls all in nice new ones. They said to her, Goodness, Mary Antonia, what beautiful shoes the girls are wearing. Where on earth did you manage to get new shoes? And my mother replied proudly, My little Salvatore, he made them. When he found out that we had no shoes for the girls, he sat up all night and made the shoes. After the ceremony at lunchtime, I profited by the gladness and good humour of my mother and father, especially of my mother. My father said little, but I could see a look in his eyes as my mother said over and over again, just fancy little Salvatore making those shoes all by himself. He had no means of doing it, just a bit of canvas and a few tacks and glue, and he was able to make the shoes for the girls to wear. I said, Daddy and Mama, won't you please, please let me learn how to make shoes? It won't take me long. I know it won't. You see, nobody has taught me how to do it and I've done it. If you will just let me have a few lessons, I will learn to make shoes and earn money for you and help you. I would help you just as my brothers in America are helping you. Because, of course, my brothers were sending money home from America so that our parents could redeem their debts. At last, my ambition was no longer looked on with displeasure. My father looked at my mother and said, Very well, Salvatore. You may go and learn shoemaking, but make sure you don't play truant with the other boys while you are supposed to be learning the trade. I don't know how I prevented myself, bursting out laughing or crying. I was so full of joy. Play truant when I could learn how to be a shoemaker. I wouldn't play truant there. I wanted to learn. I was so happy that I ran around to Luigi Festa that same day and said to him, Maestro, tomorrow I shall come with you and stay with you all the time and learn how to make shoes.